You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 and 3 says this, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Can I ask you a question? How do you read that scripture? Or how do you hear that scripture read? I was convicted over the last few years and doing some of the further study that I've been doing and being around some incredibly uh, powerful and anointed communicators and preachers and teachers and professors and, and all of these things. And, and one of the, the, the realities that as a pastor or as those who even read the Word of God, and you don't have to be a pastor obviously to do that, all of us as Christians, it was like how we read the Word of God actually begins to inform us of how we think about God. And how I read a passage of scripture like this, and this is why it's a little bit more important for me and and why I take this with such reverence and awe before God to read the word of God because how I read it causes you to interpret God's character in some way or another. That's a heavy load to bear. Because I assure you that phrase, act like a man. Be strong, act like a man. Depending on how I say it or how I read it could change how you think or feel about God. Act like a man. Act like a man. Be strong. Be strong. Do you realize how many times that phrase has been stated in the history of humanity? Similar conversations like this one between David and Solomon have been repeated over and over and over again throughout the world over centuries. And no matter what locale, no matter what culture, can I just tell you that probably whatever's being asked of some male, no matter where and what time or what season, it probably had very little to do with being a biblical man. Who knew that defining biblical manhood would be so difficult, contentious? And confusing. God did. God knew because he knows all things and that he knew that what he intended to be beautiful, what he intended to be perfect, and an image of God himself in the earth would be corrupted, distorted, perverted, and attacked after sin and the fall. And it has been and will continue to be until Jesus returns. But I believe there is wisdom. I believe there is hope. I believe there is truth for us today in God's word. So I humbly wade into the choppy and murky waters of biblical manhood and hope some clarity and peace can be brought to this subject through God's revelation by the Spirit of God. In 1963, before many of you in this room were even born, 
a massive musical hit from Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons was re- released with the message, walk like a man, talk like a man. The message was a, a, one from a father to a son about get over the girl, man. Basically, that's the whole message. Get, don't, you shouldn't be crying and groveling over some girl somewhere. Get over it. Move on. Walk like a man. Talk like a man. Ironically, the way that Frankie sang the song with his soaring falsetto was kind of stereotypically not manly. And then another interesting factoid was this song was on the album, Big Girls Don't Cry. So as to make sure that after listening to their album, everybody knew what a man and a woman should and should not do. Who knew that the Jersey Boys were such cultural apologists? But in fact, that's what their message was. And can I propose to you that what we think or believe men and women should do is as much the problem when it comes to the subject of biblical manhood and then the subject of biblical womanhood, which my wife's going to teach on next week. And here's why. Here's why what we do and what we think about what we're supposed to do is a problem. Because as believers, we are defined by who we are, not by what we do. This takes us to the foundational passage of Scripture that I I'm sure Carla will use again next week on teaching on biblical womanhood. Truth be told, everything comes back to this in in the reality of, of our understanding theologically as Christians about who we are and what we've been called to do by God. It all comes back to the garden. It all comes back to creation, but particularly and obviously who God created us to be. We have to go here first. So let's read from the creation story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the first chapter of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And it says this in verse 27. I'll also use verse 26, but let's start here. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Lord, I'm asking today that you would give us understanding. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us so that we could see clearly and live more appropriately to honor your name. There's so much in this one verse that can help us, I believe, avoid the pitfalls of the cultural confusion that we find ourselves in and really quite honestly have been in. It's not something new, but have constantly been in since the fall. As Christians, the best way to overcome cultural confusion is to go to God's Word to find clarity. And in this case, we go to the creation story to find clarity as it relates to biblical manhood. And what we do see in Genesis 1:27 are a few things. Let's look at this together. What do we see? We see, first of all, that we were created by God. We also see that our gender, he says he created them male and female, so our gender was created by God. We see that he says they're created male and female so that there are only two genders created by God. The fact that it's stressed in this passage and in this verse means that our, first of all, that our genders matter. It matters that we are both male and female. Unlike every other created thing in the creation story before that says they were created after their own kind, we were created what? In the image of our creator. That's different about us. 
That's, that's the, the powerful thing about us that separates us from everything else that's created, that we, men and women, were created in the image of our creator. Together, we were created to reflect or image the divine plurality that's expressed in God himself in the Trinity. Genesis 1:26. just back up one verse. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over. I'll stop right there. What we see here is that the plurality and the oneness, the diversity and the togetherness in our human relationships as men and women are supposed to be a reflection of God's own personal relationship with himself in the Trinity. Let us create them, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity at all times. And the reflection of that unity and that oneness, the diversity and the uniqueness, yet the complete togetherness is supposed to be reflected in the relationship between men and women. Now, I started this creation conversation by saying that biblical manhood is confusing because we start with what we do instead of starting with who we are. Believers should understand this, as I said a moment ago. I am a Christian because of what Christ has done and not because of anything that I've done. I am a Christian because of what Christ has done before I do anything except accept who he is. Now, if we apply that same idea here with gender, I am a man, not because of what I do, but because of what God has done by creating me so. It doesn't mean that there are not things that we do as Christians that prove that we are. It doesn't mean that we don't do things as men and women that are unique to each of us maybe, but what comes first, what defines us first is who we are. And who we are is created by God, and who we are as a new creation in Christ comes first. And then what we do, whatever that is, should be in obedience to God as a reflection of him in the earth. Let's stay here in this verse for a moment more. Our gender was created by God and why it's important. Therefore, our manhood is a gift from God, just as womanhood is a gift from God. But before Adam did anything, notice this, before he did anything, he was a man. God created him a man. And this was before he had done anything in his life. And this is so important. Why was he created a man? Because God said so. Before he tended the land, before he named the animals, before he was even intimate with Eve, because somehow we equate sexuality with our manhood. Before he had done any of that, he was a man because God said he was a man. And this is important for us when it comes to our true identity whether it's in your own life and your own struggles that you may have at times, or whether it's training up the next generation of young men, we are men because God said it was so. Manhood is inherent to us because that's how God created us. We are not more or less of a man simply because of what we do. Are there characteristics that make us more godly men? Absolutely. And we'll get into that in a moment. But I want you to know this first and foremost. 
speaking to those of you, obviously, who are uh, men in this room, but then also to us as women, if you don't understand, or maybe you've struggled with the reality of what biblical manhood or womanhood is, this is all important to us. This is why we're teaching on this and God's family. But here's what we need to understand first. You are first a man because God said so. Very simply. But there's so much more to who we are as men than just that. That's just where we start. Because as it goes on to say in Genesis 1:27, God created them male and female. See, we cannot truly be the men God created us to be when we are alone or all by ourselves. Hear me, this is why we know this to be true because God said it himself. It is not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. Therefore, in the passage we just read, we see that man and woman were made in the image of God together. He made them together in his image. What does that tell us? That man alone is not the sum total of the image of God in the earth. Here's another reason why I believe there is such an assault against male and female relationships in our culture and in the church. Because if we try to define our manhood apart from our relationships with women, we will not image God fully or properly the way God intended. A woman was not created to help us just do things at our beck and call, but as a necessary completion to help us image God properly and fully in the earth. Carla will talk about that a bit more as she unpacks that word helper next week. But I think we can safely say that we will not even be able to understand ourselves, men. We will not even be able to understand ourselves as men apart from a relationship with, the, with women in the body of Christ, which means I think I could safely say, and I was thinking about this recently because all you have to do if you follow anything in the religious world, if you follow anything as it relates to church culture and our, uh, you know, need to find dirt and hear the worst stories about everybody, if, you, if that's really what social media is many times, if you follow anything, you're constantly being bombarded about a pastor that has fallen from grace, if you will, that has morally failed, that has, that has cashed out, if you will. And it could be a lot of things, burnout, depression, divorce, moral failure, or, or this one, narcissism, which is a big thing even now, right? They're just so focused in on themselves. And here's why I think, particularly in the church, and even for pastors, but just generally speaking for men, why this is such a problem is because we've done a poor job of being biblical men in God-ordained relationships with women in general, and then our wives in particular, We have equated submission with self-serving orders and authoritarianism instead of mutual love and respect while out-serving one another. If you think I'm overstating this, if you think I'm like, well, Brent's, you know, he's, he's kind of recreating culture all of a sudden. Yeah, I hope I'm helping us to redeem what culture has gotten wrong. And I'm not overstating this, this crucial created togetherness that God has made us if you say, well, that's really not the problem, then I fear that you, we've forgotten the co. Don't forget the co. They say, well, what are you talking about? We are co-regents. We were created as co-equals. Then in Christ, we are co-heirs and co-laborers in the earth. 
And when we forget that, all of a sudden we stop acting the way God created us to relate towards one another and we stop imaging God properly in the oneness and the togetherness that he created us to image him as men and women of God. So men, we've got to see women as sisters and co-laborers in Christ before we see them as temptations or potential spouses. Isn't this what the, was instructed to Timothy by Paul in 1 Timothy 5 to treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sister? As a man, I'm created or designed to image God in my loving, self-sacrificing relationship with women as I would treat my own mother or as I would treat my sister with, as Paul said, complete purity. So it was not just a man who was created, and then God was like, oh, well, got to get him some help here. I mean, that's how we read the scripture sometimes. It wasn't just a man who was created in God's image, but a man, and it says, and woman, in what? In his image. God's image is unable to be subdivided. It's unable to be parsed out. And what I mean is that he is all that he is at all times. He is one with himself. It's, it's, it's called the theology of divine simplicity. He is one with himself, or the doctrine, if you will. You cannot isolate one of God's characteristics from another. He's not kind of holy one moment and then kind another moment. He is holy and kind all at the same time. He's not wise one moment and powerful at another moment. He is wise and powerful all at the same time. But in creation, he has chosen his image to be seen in the creation of two genders living and loving one another in unity. And since God has given his image to men and women, what is true of God in his fullness or divine simplicity is true of us most fully when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Together, not in isolation. And it's when we are most fully put on display as the image of God here and now, and it's also how we most function as godly men. This also gives us a clue as to why marriage is such a sacred institution to God. So I propose we will learn the most about biblical manhood when we learn men to engage in dynamic, servant-hearted, non-romantic relationships with our sisters in Christ. That's when you'll learn the most about biblical manhood. If we really are who God made us to be as men, and we really are who he says that we are as men, then our greatest problem is an internal one, not an external one. Our greatest problem is an internal problem called sin, not an external problem, which is the problem because we try to solve an internal problem with a lot of external things. So even when it comes to being a biblical man, we cannot fix an internal problem with an external solution. That's why externally based activities or actions are not the ultimate answer to truly being a man. We'll just go fish some more. We'll just go shoot a bow and arrow a little bit more. And that'll make me a man? Yeah. 
See, one of our biggest problems when it comes to biblical manhood is that we have tried to employ a cultural caricature or a social stereotype too often in the church to somehow create more manly men. Like you're a man if you wear flannel or have a beard or have a collection of chainsaws. And I think I just described a lumberjack or, a, or, or Jason in the uh, Friday the 13th movies. And that's really what we kind of create for biblical manhood. It's actually a horror story when we do it wrong. But we're not like trying to raise little Vikings in hopes that we can raise men. We cannot forget that doing starts with being, not the other way around. And what God says that we are is men. Now, the other side of the extreme is a cultural confusion that tries to eliminate any unique differences altogether that God's given us. It creates a gender-neutral society, which would also be tragic as well because it mars the image of God that was intended when he created us male and female together to image him in the earth. We need both. So is that it, Pastor Brent? Are there any things a man's supposed to do to exhibit and walk in biblical manhood? Well, I want to go back to the first passage of Scripture in 1 Kings that I read for a moment. And let me preface it by saying much of what I found as I was preparing for this and as my wife and I have talked about this ad nauseum and we'll probably talk about even more ad nauseum over the next seven days as she prepares, is that as I have done this, I have found that the things that we do, most of them that I find is we do them because we're Christians. Like both men and women are to do them. It's what proves we belong to Jesus. However, since I am a man doing these biblical actions, it obviously makes me live out biblical manhood. 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, have you ever inserted your own name in something like that? It's just kind of sobering. I was doing it this morning when I was doing the mic check. When the time drew near for Pastor Brent to die, that's awful. But anyway, I'll move on from that. He gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, dust to dust. So be strong. Act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. We want to know what true masculinity is about. This passage provides at least a, a great foundation and some insight, I think. David commands Solomon to act like a man, or some translations say, show yourself a man. Show yourself could also be translated appear, come to pass, be established, continue, because Solomon was already a man long before he became king. Why? Because God made him so. The word translated man does imply male as opposed to female because, well, again, before he was doing anything or being king, Solomon was a male. David's instructing Solomon to demonstrate characteristics that are foundational to God's design for manhood as he takes the throne and succeeds his father David as the king of Israel. It's not that he was not a man before he came to the throne. Rather, David's exhortation to his son is to show himself, continue to be what he really is on the inside. 
He's to live out manhood and biblical masculinity as he takes on a new role as a king. That's a role that he's taking on. He's already a man because God created him. And as a man, he's been given a role now as king because being in power does not make a person a man. But like many other roles in life, it requires that men live as godly men if they're going to do it as honorable to the Lord. I also think that power reveals whether or not we truly understand what a biblical man really is. Because power exposes our true identity more than anything else, I believe. But I want to say, and I want you to notice that what is foundational for God's design for biblical manhood here is also foundational for God's design for biblical womanhood. What do I mean? Let's look at how David defines a man. Solomon will show himself a man or act like a man if he is first strong. Again, depending on how you read that and how you interpret it is going to depend how you live this out. Strong. Like, why do we have to say it that way? Well, are you working out in the gym? Are you getting stronger? Sure, I guess. See, this word doesn't mean physically strong. But more of an internal strength, more of a character, more of a fortitude to do what is right. He is to be resolute in his beliefs and his character and his integrity. He's to be firm as to what he stands for in carrying out justice and righteousness. He is to do his part to see that God's will prevails in the kingdom as the ruler that he is now fulfilling in a new role. He is to courageously stand tall in battle. He's to be courageous. When it comes to standing for truth and the laws and the precepts and the statutes of God. Part of being a biblical man is to be strong. Strong what? Strong in Christ. Biblical manhood is marked by being strong in the Lord. Not in my muscles. Not in my physicality. But strong in the Lord. You see, as a young man, David himself was not the biggest or the strongest physically. We know this kind of by the lineup when Samuel came and like, well, where is everybody? Is this everybody? Well, I mean, except for the, you know, the little boy out there in the field. And all of a sudden, we see David thrust into this role of fighting someone that we would consider, at least from a cultural standpoint, as a man's man, a giant of a man. But what made David a man wasn't his age and wasn't his physicality, it was his faith. It was his faith and his trust in God that anything was possible with God. And that's exactly what he said to this formidable foe standing in front of him. Nothing is impossible for my God. So I'm not afraid of you. Not because I'm bigger than you, because it would have made more sense in ours to put a bigger guy out there. Well, God sent somebody that was taller than Goliath, stronger than Goliath, bigger than Goliath. Well, now it's on him. But no, he sent somebody that was smaller, weaker, and in Goliath's eyes had no ability or way to ever defeat him. Why do you send a dog out here to fight me? Because at the end of the day, what made him a man wasn't his strength or his height or his body hair. It was his trust in God. David wanted Solomon to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So that's what he told him. He said, listen, I want you to be strong 
Even my great physical feats were shaped with an internal fortitude based on strength that God alone provided for me. And that's what I want for you, son. This is the same thing Paul exhorted all believers to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, when he said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What is he talking about? He's talking about internally. Sadly, we've equated strength with muscles and physical prowess, while the Bible equates strength with trusting God and the internal fortitude to keep trusting God and obeying his word. Solomon's moral decline is what made him a weak leader, not his inability to get to the gym. He was a weak man and he was a weak king because of his moral decline. Because strength is always found in trusting Christ and obeying his commands. Not slinging more weights. Which is the second characteristic of biblical manhood according to David. Not just to be strong in the Lord, but biblical manhood is marked by obedience to the word of God. This is the foundational understanding to biblical manhood, and it is truly the very essence of biblical manhood. If a man obeys God's word in terms of how he lives and treats others, he has shown himself to be a man indeed. That's what basically David's saying. Show yourself to be a man indeed by obeying the word of God and living according to God's word and how you treat others. In this case, David was exhorting Solomon that he needed to have faith enough to be strong enough to be obedient enough, and that would prove that he was man enough. He had faith enough. He was strong enough to be obedient enough. I was talking to a friend of mine that I'm in school with who's from South Africa, a few months ago, and he's part of one of his ancestry is a part of one of the tribes there, the Kosa tribe. And he was explaining to me their tribe's rite of initiation that marks the transition from being boys to men and, and not the group. Because every time you say that, I know y'all want to sing End of the Road or something like, you know. And as he was describing this rite of initiation, I, it's, first of all, it sounded excruciating and mortifying. And I'm like, nope, I'd just be, I wouldn't be a man in y'all's tribe. I, I, I just wouldn't. And I'm sitting here, and I'm not going to describe it or talk about it, but I can't find any biblical rite of initiation or circumstances that a boy must pass through before becoming a man necessarily. And I can also say that I know some young boys and teens who are far more manly than a lot of grown men adults that I know. Because it's not about age or physical strength or something on our body. It's about standing for righteousness, acting in strength, and obeying the word of God. That's biblical manhood. To further prove this point, let me ask you, as I said a moment ago, was David a boy or a man when he killed Goliath? David was a young man, a boy really, when he conquered Goliath. And the message is that the transition from boyhood to manhood has little to do with age as compared to commitment to the word of God. It has little to do with age and more to do with trust in God's word. Granted, there are physical, mental, emotional changes that take place as we go through adolescence and go from being young boys to young men and into adulthood. But the main criteria for true manhood is who a person is on the inside in respect to fearing God and trusting and obeying his word. The issue of biblical manhood is an issue of the heart. This is why we have men who live as boys and there are boys who live as men. The question isn't what makes you a man, it's who makes you a man. And the answer, as we said to begin with, found in 
Genesis 1 is God does. Remember that. All of you, young men, older men, remember that so that all of the cultural and societal constructs don't make you feel less manly. Marriage doesn't make you a man. Getting a job doesn't make you a man. Having children doesn't make you a man. Though each of these give you opportunities to live a life as a godly man and to show yourself to belong to him. But a man is a man because God has made him male as opposed to female according to Genesis 1.27. On top of that, as I just mentioned, we all are or should be as men strong in the Lord by obeying his word. Biblical manhood means we trust God and we obey God. If we fear God more than we fear people, then I assure you, you're going to live out biblical manhood. But get this, a moral single man is no less of a man than a moral married man. And certainly he's no less of a man than an immoral married man. It doesn't matter whether anyone else considers us a man and that ultimately manhood is defined by our creator who made us, God. God created men and his men live in God-honoring ways. And if a man ever doubts his manliness, he just has to believe what is already true about him and that's God created him to be a man and to live as a man by being strong in the Lord and obeying his word. Even a man that the world would consider weak or feeble or least manly can be stronger than many in the world if he believes God, believes who God made him to be, walks in his ways, and trusts the Lord. He doesn't have to prove to himself, he doesn't have to prove to others that he has what it takes to do whatever the world or he himself deems to be important and manly. Masculinity is given by God to men, and men live that out biblically rather than perverting it or redefining it by worldly, carnal, or fleshly or selfish terms and maybe we can distill it down this way true biblical manhood is the act of submitting oneself to God while loving those around us like Jesus Christ the world needs men to be men by showing themselves to be men by God's standards not the world's standards Biblical manhood is a matter of the heart, and it's manifested and matured by a strong commitment and obedience to the Word of God. Biblical men are men of integrity, of internal strength and fortitude in Christ, and the courage to do what is right and to stand for truth at all times and in all situations, no matter the opposition. But it all comes back to Jesus, right? Do you notice... One of the things that we often do and what I will do is when we become, come to the end of the message, more than just applying it to our lives, we need to help ourselves and help you, all of us understand that the things that we're talking about in God's word are impossible for any of us to do outside of the spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And that only comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. So in order to be a biblical man, it all comes down to Jesus, right? And sometimes we'll prescriptively go, well, just, just follow Jesus. Just, just, if you want to be a godly man, then just follow in Jesus' footsteps. But can I, just, can I just say something real quick about that? When we prescriptively tell a man in church to follow Jesus' example, and yes, we're to be like Christ, but can I ask you, isn't a woman supposed to follow Jesus' example too? So really, what we need more than an example 
is a savior. I can't follow an example without first being saved by the savior. If I just follow an example, then what we're gonna do, if we just give examples of how to be more like a biblical man, then we're gonna cause ourselves a lot of frustration and we're gonna fail because we cannot be what God's called us to be until we are saved and created to be who God made us to be. But ultimately, Jesus is the answer to our manhood issues because he's the only one who can change our hearts by giving us a new one, and he's the only one who can renew our minds so that we can think and act the way God designed us to think and act. Jesus is the Savior for all mankind, and we need a Savior to make us sons and to remind us that we're men of God. And why are we men of God? Because God made us men. My hope and prayer today is that all of us would be encouraged to live out a life that is honoring to God as biblical men, and then as we put this other puzzle piece together next week with biblical women, that we would image God in the earth as men and women in relationship with God and with one another in such a way that draws people to a loving father who has a son that is called to save us. And the only way we see that is through our relationships being the way God intended them to be. That's my hope for us, church, that as men and women, the division that the enemy has created since the fall, that we would get to see little glimpses of how God intended and how we love one another rightly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity today to worship you, to praise you, just to, to come and, and bring our hearts and our minds and, and lay them at the foot of the cross and say, God, where I've had some ideas that aren't yours, would you change them? Where I've had some preconceived ideas of how a man is supposed to be that's not really biblical, but more cultural, God, would you just reveal that to me so that I can live in honesty and then also help others to do the same before God? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just a few questions this morning. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're struggling with your identity. You're a man in here today, a young man, maybe an older man. You say, I just feel like I, I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be the man that I'm supposed to be. Well, can I just tell you first and foremost that who God made you to be is exactly who you are, no matter what anybody else says. But if there are areas of your life that aren't surrendered over to Jesus, or maybe Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior yet, well, then can I tell you, you're never going to be the man God created you to be until Jesus is Lord of your life. No matter what you wear, no matter how much you make, no matter what you do, no matter how many relationships you have, you're never going to be more of a man until you meet with the man, Jesus Christ. And I pray today that that is exactly what happens, that you would encounter him as Savior and Lord and surrender your life to him. And for those of you who know him as Savior and Lord, that you would surrender every stereotype and everything that isn't reflective of biblical man and surrender that to God and say, Lord, I want to be a man after your heart. I want to stand for truth. I want to stand for righteousness. And I want to be in right relationship with my sisters in Christ in such a way that serves them and images you, God, and who you are in the earth around me. God, would you help us to do that as a church? Lord, I think it would be so countercultural 
that so many people would be drawn to your marvelous light if we would live the way you created us to live in right relationship. Even as we sing this last song to praise your name, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to praise your name. We're praising the fact that you're the one who created us. You're the one who made us. You're the one who called us out of the dark and and set our feet on a solid rock and, and gave us a life to live to please you. Lord, would you continue to do your work as we worship you today? Let's stand to our feet, church. Let's sing to Jesus together. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church.